You're listening to WKXL in the morning. I'm your host, AJ Kirstead. Let's get the latest in New Hampshire business news with our friends at the New Hampshire Business Review. Check out more from them at NHBR.com. Got Jeff Feingold back on the show. Welcome back. Great, for, great to be back, AJ. So let's start off with you guys have an event coming up on May 5th uh, titled DEI from Talk to Action. What's that all about? Well, it's a follow-up to a very successful event we had uh, last year on on DEI, which is which is diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's a uh, it's basically it's a it's an it's an acronym that's really uh, become a very topmost uh, among a lot of business people in the state um, and, and elsewhere, actually. Because what it is is about it's it's a realization that having a successful workforce means having a diverse workforce, and one that it, that includes people and empowers people in certain ways as worker as as your employees. Um, so what we're doing is we have we have another follow up event where we're talking a little bit more about in deep in depth about the benefits of uh, of practicing. Uh, appropriate DEI uh, uh, the appropriate DEI process and it's about just kind of being more aware of how beneficial it is to your workplace not just to the workers who you're hiring but to the workers who are already there and to your company because there's been much much research done on this that the most successful companies are ones that are diverse and inclusive whether it's by race, ethnicity, or and gender, it's uh, they're all much they're more successful if they've been have been several studies of publicly held companies that prove that. <clears throat> yeah, and when you're talking about especially if you want your business to expand into new markets, for example, that yes. maybe you're going to be hitting an audience you may not have otherwise um, encountered before. You want to include that audience in your business yes. side too, if you really want to understand what's going on. Absolutely, and and the other thing is that you know there's. When you when there's been many polls of uh, surveys of uh, young of young younger workers, and very very large percentages say they value a workplace that's diverse, that is diverse and inclusive, and as an employer, especially at times like these where it's so hard to find employees, it really makes it a uh, very uh, important to think about what your potential new employees want as a workplace. And people and, and many and many say they won't go to work for a company that's not diverse and inclusive. All right, let's move over to the news because there's certainly been a lot of news of late. There's, yeah, that has not sure. been a shortage. So, <laughs> one of the big things that's uh, especially from the the business side has been important is the rising gas prices because there's so many implications of it, whether it comes from. Uh, moving goods across over, across uh, distances to how much your groceries are going to end up costing. Um, it looks like that Biden's looking to release some oil reserves to alleviate it. I mean, how much do you think that's really yeah. going to make a difference for? Oh, the release of the oil reserves? I, I don't think that's going to make much of a difference. Maybe for a day, it maybe brought down the uh, price of oil per barrel. I think the... Uh, <clears throat> Yeah, and then we have a discussion of a gas tax holiday on a federal level and a gas tax holiday in New Hampshire. And I, 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 I don't know. I mean, a lot of that is just, uh, I, I think it, a lot of it is just window dressing in a way. It's it's not a long-term solution. The long, you know, long-term solution is you know, understanding the vulnerability we have when it comes to fossil fuels. I mean, I, you know, 
you know, I want to get into a whole big philosophical discussion about it, but I'm more happy, more than happy to do it with you. But uh, it just, we, I, you know, I'm old enough to have lived through two Arab oil embargoes and I've lived through all kinds of other problems that we've had in terms of oil in particular, but also natural gas. And, and uh, we, we're just vulnerable, even though we have abundance of that, we don't control the price. We don't control the prices of, of the, of the, right. of the resources we have here in New Hampshire. I mean, in the United States. So, that makes us very vulnerable. If you know, the more you focus on renewable energy, the more you focus on resources that we can that are homegrown, that aren't on part of a part of an international market. And I'm thinking of like biomass, like like wood and and other and other and other sources. Then you then you can really feel more uh, uh, you know liberated from from the international marketplace when it comes to especially fossil fuels. New Hampshire Journal podcast, we're recording Thursday, April 7th, so I'm talking last week, so whatever set of dates that ended up being this past week's a blur to me, but yeah. they had New Hampshire Journal podcast had a great discussion on it where Michael Graham, who's their primary guy over there with Drew Klein from the Josiah Bartlett Center, we're going back and forth on it, and uh, Drew Klein was like, oh, this is great from a libertarian perspective, remove all the taxes, but uh, Michael Graham's like, no, this is entirely for politics, like there, there's, it's, it's strictly a political move, it's not going to change anything it's gonna come right back afterwards and it's it's a band-aid to make politicians look good for the next couple months when exactly are still gonna that, be what they are they're scratching the itch that you feel right now even though you know that might be a symptom of a much more serious case but they'll give you the band-aid or the uh, you know the benadryl but it, that's not going to solve the problem it's it's a it's a long-term serious condition that we've known about for more than a couple of generations now and you know it's time to wake up and really understand you know when when, a, when something like this can happen where uh, where one country can invade another country and disrupt international markets and uh, you know cause just havoc on the economy of internationally that's really that's a red flag to what's going on what you know wh- how we need to, as, an, as a country, we need, as a separate economy, we need to understand that this is, we're very vulnerable to this kind of stuff. This is the perfect time where we should be putting our money where our mouth is, like investing, like is there, but I guess maybe the, the big question for me is where should we put our money where our mouth is? Like what is the, the energy solution to, to work around it? Is it fracking? Is it more drilling domestically? I mean, do you, what do you think? I, 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 I think that's just short-term stuff. And as I said, the, the prices of those things are, 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 are dictated by international markets. And so, you know, when there's problems abroad, you know, it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be Russia. You know, obviously, this has been a, a, a egregious situation, just just horrible. But we've been through this before. You know, with with the with the with with OPEC, uh, just you know, unilaterally deciding we don't want to give our oil, sell sell our oil to the United States or or whatever, or they decide unilaterally we're going to cut, we're going to raise, we're going to cut production because we want the price to go up, and the price goes up even if it's the even if it's the oil that's that's in the in the wells in the United States. So that that's the problem. And, and the problem is to find other sources of energy, you know, long-term sources of energy reliable that we don't have to worry about international markets deciding on the prices. Are, are you seeing anyone in New Hampshire kind of making that step on their own from a, a corporate or independent perspective to move into a different way of, of getting that energy? Well, you know, actually, I'll tell you, I'll tell you something. It's not someone necessarily in New Hampshire, but they do business in New Hampshire. That's Next Era Energy, which owns – the Seabrook nuclear power plant, by the way, 
but they are a major energy company based in Florida. They are, they are very seriously uh, investing in solar, hmm. big investors in solar. And there are also a lot of international companies, you know, big energy companies that are, that are really serious about wind, you know, especially offshore wind, which can generate, you know, massive amounts of energy, not just something like a little windmill somewhere or even a wind farm. And, and you know, I think that's the future. And I, I know the governor is is really into the into the idea of wind, offshore wind, and, and the state is in the process of we hope of developing some kind of uh, playbook for for the state to, to to encourage the development of offshore wind, because I think that's the kind of stuff that we can more seriously rely on over the, on in the future. It's it, you know it's going to be a mix. It can't just be offshore wind. It can't just be solar. You know, it's it's going to be a bunch of stuff, but at least it's th- these are things that are renewable that we don't have to worry about constantly finding new sources of the energy. And you know, it's it's just a matter of changing our mindset on it. Yeah, it's kind of the downside economically with finding a way out of uh, relying on fossil fuels is it has to be a very uh, you have to diversify diversify a considerable amount because there is no like magic bullet solution. I mean. We mentioned nuclear a little bit. I mean, your experience—you've been in the state for a while, even covering stuff. Yeah. I mean, have why isn't there more nuclear energy being produced in the state? Do you think it's because it's it's the reason that there's no nuclear energy being produced in the United States? It's because of Seabrook nuclear power plant. End of end of story. Because Seabrook was uh, was a, was definitely more than than the uh, little utility then known as public service could could. Uh, they, they could chew on, they could swallow or digest, and it's just not, uh, it was not an economically feasible uh, project for a utility like that. And, you know, the long term also is that th- there's so much concern about nuclear energy. And, I, I you know, I, 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 I still can't wrap my head around about what we do with nuclear waste over, uh, you know, after, after it's no, after we have to, where we put it, we still have no idea where to put it. United States still has no place to dump to store its nuclear waste long term, and it, it's it's a major cost. And and I and I don't I think it's it's not it's it's not the feasible answer that people thought it was in the fifties and sixties. It's it's just it's it's a it's an expensive. It's very expensive when you think about the costs. Well, we had the we have the unfortunate example of Chernobyl and uh, Fukushima. Mm. We know what the costs are and. Uh, it's there. The cost of of, a, of of the waste, of the cost of an accident, are just mind-bogglingly high. Is it also? Do you think because it, it's it would basically come down to a, a region coming together in order to sort it out? It'd be a multi-state solution because it would be so expensive. Yeah, and, and also we, we there were there were se- there were several uh, nuclear power plants operating in, the, in in New England at one point. There was Pilgrim, there was Millstone, there were some others, and. And they all uh, they, they've all been decommissioned because of the cost of operating them because of the uh, their, of, of their age, and the utilities never even thought about reviving one and building another one because because the the uh, the opposition was would make the price even more more uh, considerable, and that's that's really you know that, that's the long term thing is like is it worth talking about building nuclear power when there's already a built in opposition that makes the opposition to Northern past look like 
a walk in the park. <laughs> Valid point there. Hard to argue with that. <laughs> Let's move over to a, uh, another great thing, not great thing happening in the state is uh, looks like bankruptcies are jumping in March. And uh, yeah. it's like some 64 individuals and businesses filed for bankruptcy in March. Uh, Bob Sanders wrote about this over at NHBR. Yeah, yeah we follow this every, every month, the bankruptcy filings. And uh, it's very interesting because uh, – Everybody we talk to, all the, the bankruptcy attorneys we talk to, the experts at the beginning of COVID assumed that there were going to be a just a huge increase in bankruptcies during the pandemic. But it turns out that we were setting record after record after record of the, for low numbers of bankruptcies. And this 64 is much higher than last month, but it is still much lower than a year before. And it is far lower than the record of, you know, like 500 or 550, whatever it was in uh, <clears throat> it, during, during the Great Recession for that for the month of March. And uh, it's it, it's it's kind of it, we don't know if it's a blip mm-hmm. and we don't know if this is, you know, if this is if this really is a turn it. But we have said, I think, 25 months in a row where the number of bankruptcies have been under 100 and before we started, uh, before that 25 months began, it was unusual not to have them over 100, even if they were considered a low number of bankruptcies. Mm. So this has been two, over two years of uh, a period where it's been a very, uh, very def- a low number. And uh, you know, I think it does show, say a lot about the health of the, of, of the New Hampshire economy. It also says a lot about the uh, I think about how robust the uh, federal assistance was, because I think that's one of the reasons why there's, there's a lot fewer uh, individual bankruptcies. And the same is true of business bankruptcies. We've gone several months over the last two years where there have been no bit bankruptcies by businesses at all. And four is is not necessarily, it, it's, it's, it's obviously upsetting to the, to the people and the employees of, of those businesses, but it's not a big number, you know, by any means. I do. I I mean, this this is maybe hopeful thinking, or I mean, do you think us coming out of COVID? I'm I'm trying to figure out all these lessons we we've we could yeah. learn from everything that happened during COVID. Trying to find some little glimmer of hope in the horribleness that has occurred over the last couple of years. I mean, do you think that the like the small business support that the the state and federal governments across offered through COVID to make sure businesses were able to stay afloat is going to be a lesson learned by the governments to kind of prop up these smaller businesses as they go through hard times, whether it's um, a a natural disaster coming through, whether it's economic downturns for, I mean, if 2008 would have had something like this happen, would more businesses have been able to make it through? Well, I don't want to sound cynical, but I will, because I don't think that the lesson has been learned by everybody, especially in the policy making world, because, you know, if you think about it, that, there was a, a, an attempt late last year to try to help restaurants again, mm-hmm. because restaurants are still, you know, actually, I believe one of the two big bank businesses that filed, you know, as businesses was a, was a restaurant in, in, in the most recent filings. You know, they were just devastated by uh, by COVID, and uh, you know, there was, the, you know, they talked about it in Washington, but they were, you know, it was dead on arrival, according to like Mitch McConnell and people like that. They didn't want to spend any more money to help the small businesses. You know, it's it's not uh, it's this is not new. I mean, I think small businesses just kind of get lost in the shuffle. 
uh, I don't think they do. I know they do, especially in Washington. And uh, it's, 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 it's really sad. I mean, it, it was the good thing about COVID. It was that it was such a devastating pandemic and such a unique historical moment that, you know, they did everything they could help for business, the businesses. But I don't think that, they, that small businesses have ever really been top of mind down in Washington. Well, it's hard. I mean, they don't they, they aren't able to donate the sort of money that larger companies, yes. they don't have the money for the uh, very, yeah. very expensive lawyers it takes to to lobby out there. And they're all I'm always weary whenever I see a study that goes in front of the government with like, OK, who actually funded this? And yeah. is this something we should be skeptical, skeptical of instead of trying to get legislation based around? Yeah, exactly. And and really, you know, they, they pay lip service. They always talk about how great small businesses are, how important they are, their backbone. But when it comes when push comes to shove, I don't think that that they, they, the words are do not match. I mean, the actions do not match their words. That very, very rarely does. I mean, there's legislation that goes through or tries to go through and it doesn't go. It doesn't make it, it doesn't make it in the end because it's not you know, it's not the. Uh, it's not top of mind for a lot of those uh, con- people in Congress. And it always feels it always feels so gross when the primary comes around, and it's it's great seeing the politicians go to the small businesses and speak yeah. with business owners and interact with people. But then you go, they're they're just going to be heading off to to the next primary, and then they're going to make it make it to Washington, and th- it's just yeah. going to continue business as usual. Exactly. Exactly. That's why I said I want to be cynical, but I couldn't help it. So, <laughs> well, it's uh, easy I, to maybe I should use the word realistic. Maybe I should yeah. just say realistic instead of cynical. Exactly. That's been, that's been a, a fun ethical line to try and draw over time when it comes to what any politician is doing and how you that's feel right. about the economy <laughs> and the government. It's like, okay, am I just being negative here because I'm annoyed at the people in the middle of this discussion, or is it <laughs> like, no, this is this nope something something is really in this exactly. here. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Jeff Feingold over at the New Hampshire Business Review. Thank you so much for joining me. It's great talking with you, AJ. You're listening to KXL in the morning. I'm your host, AJ Kirstead. We'll be right back after this.